This is Morning Edition on NHPR. I'm Rick Ganley, and this is the New Hampshire News Recap. Legal scholars are debating whether the 14th Amendment could disqualify former President Donald Trump from appearing on the presidential primary ballot here in New Hampshire. The State Attorney General and the Secretary of State say they have not taken a position. Joining me now are NHPR's Josh Rogers and the Boston Globe's Stephen Porter for the recap. Good morning to you both. Good morning. Good morning. Stephen, I want to start with you. How did this debate over Trump's eligibility begin, and and how did it make its way to New Hampshire? Well, the idea that former President Trump has been disqualified from holding office again is an idea that's been around for a couple of years now. Basically, the the argument goes that Section 3 of the 14th Amendment prohibits sworn office holders who engaged in insurrection or supported those who 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 uh, you know took up arms against the United States uh, from holding future office. And so, uh, ever since January 6, 2021, there has been some argument that uh, that should be applied to uh, former President Trump. In the past month, the argument has really picked up, thanks in large part to a law review article and an article in The Atlantic. Uh, it's been a widely discussed theory since then, even was mentioned on the debate stage. And so here in New Hampshire, we heard a um, 2020 GOP Senate candidate, Corky Messner, come forward and say that he is thinking about uh, filing litigation of his own in order to uh, attempt to require Uh, Secretary of State David Scanlon to prohibit Trump from New Hampshire's ballot. So that's really how it wound up kind of at the front of the conversation here in New Hampshire is the prospect of litigation from um, from that uh, Republican. Okay, and those arguments are happening in other states as well. But how are state officials here in New Hampshire looking to this, Josh? Well, the Secretary of State, who is empowered to determine ballot eligibility in New Hampshire, uh, has said that you know, he will consult with the attorney general. The attorney general says, uh, you know, this is a question that he's looking at. Uh, there are obviously procedural uh, questions here uh, pending the filing of any lawsuit that are that are sort of unanswerable at this point. But, you know, as Stephen mentioned, a lawsuit, at least from Corky Messner, is expected in New Hampshire. And I believe there's been a separate suit already filed along these lines. Uh, you know, suit really doesn't become terribly relevant until Donald Trump uh, attempts to file when the filing period is open. Um, I will say broadly precedent in New Hampshire uh, when it comes to eligibility and appearance on the ballot. I mean, typically this boils down to residency status. Uh, you know, the default position of the of the um, Secretary of State's office and the ballot law commission, which sometimes handles these things, is to be, you know, permissive within uh, within you know following the law um, and let voters decide. I mean, you know, the questions here are large and more fraught than you know somebody who may have moved to the state and wants to run for state senate. Um, but uh, obviously, what we're talking about is not taking place in a vacuum. There's also speculation that ultimately this would be something that would be decided by the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, but you know, as we saw this week already, when it was falsely alleged that this, this that state officials had taken a position and the Secretary of State's office was flooded with phone calls, uh, this is potentially quite a volatile issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, Stephen, I'm sure there are some legal scholars who are arguing against this questioning of Trump's qualifications. Uh, I want to know what they have to say, and, and, and we have to point out, of course, he has not been convicted yet. Absolutely. So so the, the proponents of this theory say the 14th Amendment is self-enforcing and immediate, and so people like Secretary Scanlon, in their view, should go ahead and disqualify Trump from the ballot, even with there not being a conviction. Um, the the counter 
point to that without getting too far into the weeds. There are some legal scholars who say, no, actually, the, the there's legal precedent that says Congress needs to enact legislation in order to apply the 14th Amendment in a way that would be uh, applicable to this context. Uh, and that's even uh, setting that aside, there's there's an argument that um, even if you could kind of theoretically prove that the 14th Amendment should apply, um, there, there's a concern about the the political perilousness of going down that path. So there are a couple of countervailing arguments coming back and pushing against this untested legal theory. Sure. Josh, sticking with the 2024 presidential primary theme here, uh, Labor Day is usually a turning point for campaigning ahead of the presidential primaries. Uh, candidates' efforts to win over voters, you know, it starts to to intensify right around now. What but what are voters telling you about their feelings towards candidates at this point in the campaign season? What are you hearing when you when you're at, at events? Well, broadly, lots of can- lots of voters are really trying to sort things out. I mean, this is a very odd year. Uh, functionally, we have two incumbents, and in, in obviously uh, President Biden, and also in former President Trump. And for Republican voters, uh, the Trump situation. Is really a mixed bag. Uh, there's definitely a big slug of the Republican electorate who uh, f- feels great loyalty to the former president. But most GOP voters, according to the polls and certainly anecdotally, are open to voting for someone who isn't Trump. And if you go out to uh, candidate events of candidates who aren't Trump, and, and while Trump's been here, he's only been here a couple of times, um, you know, most most voters who are going to show up to that those events have already kind of passed a threshold unless they're just simply curious of being willing to vote for someone who isn't Trump. And, um, you know, they'll tell you they're open minded. But it, it's, you know, a lot of people have real concerns about, you know, the state of our politics, uh, the age of Joe Biden and Donald Trump and uh, what what the specter of a rematch between those two. And that's what polls indicate will likely happen. We have a long way way to go, obviously, what, right. what that says about the world we're living in. Yeah. And uh, have you got some 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 voter tape here, some some sound here that you talked to a few uh, different people uh, out on the trail? I want to play a little bit of this for just just a few seconds here. It says a lot about how weak we are and how lost our country is. Very, very sick. So there's some voices right there. And, and is that indicative of what you're hearing? Well, the, the, those, that was a, a mother and daughter who are from Bedford who I spoke to. They were checking out uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, and they were they are undecided voters. They do not want Donald Trump. They do not want Joe Biden. They're hoping a Republican who, um, you know, holds more of their views are both socially conservative and fiscally conservative women. Um can unite the Republican Party, but they have real doubts that that's going to happen and have real doubts about, you know, the future of the country. It's morning edition from NHPR. We're recapping this week's news with NHPR's Josh Rogers and the Boston Globe's Stephen Porter. In other news, Stratford County Sheriff Mark Brave is on administrative leave as he faces multiple felony charges. Stephen, can you tell us more about this criminal investigation? So Sheriff Mark Brave uh, faces allegations from the Attorney General's Public Integrity Unit that says that they conducted an investigation and concluded that he misused public funds for personal reasons and then submitted fraudulent documentation in order to justify those expenses to claim that they were actually for law enforcement purposes when they allegedly were not. And then he's accused of lying to a grand jury about individual details in this case. So altogether, he's facing eight felony charges. That includes five perjury counts. Uh, and it has been uh, quite the strain on on his department uh, in, in recent months. And what's, what's Bray's response been to this? 
So he maintains his innocence. He says that, uh, you know, as elected sheriff, he has the ability to determine which travel out of state uh, is appropriate for his office to spend public funds on. So, for example, he made a trip to Fort Lauderdale, Florida with an executive assistant, and he said, we went for work-related research because uh, she was going to have a new uh, job position in the in his office. And uh, they went on that trip to to research that that job position. That's the position that he has taken. Uh, that particular employee has since resigned amid scrutiny over this this new position that she was placed in. Um, but that that's his position is that he's done nothing wrong. And my understanding is other staffers were were also uh, threatening to resign. That is correct. So uh, county officials have been fairly careful in what they say to me at this stage, but I was able to attend a public meeting in which they faced questions from members of the Stratford County delegation. And it was a much more uh, thorough and frank conversation. Uh, and so there was uh, a revelation in that meeting that that the office was on the brink of a mass resignation. Even the chief deputy, who is now leading the department uh, as the sheriff has stepped aside, placed himself on paid administrative leave, the chief deputy said he himself was on the verge of resigning in a matter of days if uh, the sheriff had not voluntarily agreed to step aside. And what's next for this case? So uh, we are uh, looking for an arraignment to happen at the end of September. So we're expecting that piece of the investigation to proceed as far as court is concerned. And for the time being, the sheriff has signed on to an agreement that keeps him um, on paid administrative leave until the criminal matter has been resolved or his term comes to an end. Let's turn to another criminal investigation uh, into a public official. Uh, Andy Sanborn, a former Republican state senator and owner of the Concord Casino, is accused of committing COVID relief fraud. Josh, can you tell us more about this story? Well, it's quite a story. Yesterday, uh, the Attorney General and the Lottery Commission um, issued documents indicating that a formal review they had um, performed on Andy Sanborn relative to uh, his holding a, a license to operate a charitable gaming casino, the Concord Casino, found that he allegedly used a small business administration COVID relief loan, a loan of more than $800,000 inappropriately, that he fraudulently obtained the loan and allegedly spent the, some of the money buying race cars, uh, three of them, uh, two Porsches and a Ferrari, uh, and funneled monies, uh, money to himself in ways that the Attorney General uh, says were wrong, um, claiming uh, payments he made to himself through an LLC were rent payments. Um, you know, we'll see where this goes. Uh, it certainly doesn't look good, and it's not simply Andy Sanborn who will be under scrutiny. His wife, Lori Sanborn, a state rep who uh, was appointed by the Speaker of the House to chair a committee looking at essentially the future of charity gaming. Um, she was, according to the Attorney General, a beneficiary of some of this uh, lifestyle uh, spending, including a Ferrari. So, um, you know, we'll see. I, we, you know, reporters, including me, reached out to House Speaker Sherman Packard yesterday when um, the Attorney General issued these documents, and we've received no response yet as to Lori Sanborn's continued role. The Sanborns were planning to build a larger casino on uh, Loudon Road in Concord, 34,000 feet. Uh, that doesn't look like it'll be happening now. And the, the bottom line is that the, the Lottery Commission and the Attorney General says Andy Sanborn is morally unfit to hold 
a gambling license in New Hampshire, and he's referred this matter both to his own criminal division, which is investigating, and also uh, the U.S. Department of Justice. So uh, lots yeah. more to come on this. And just just quickly, have the Sanborn said anything about these accusations? Uh, Andy Sanborn said that he exercised due diligence in processing these loans and that he disagrees with the findings of the attorney general. All right. I want to ask you both before I let you go, what's next in your reporting? Josh, uh, what are you working on that, that uh, you'd like to preview? Well, one thing that's happening next week that will be interesting to observe is uh, Governor Sununu's attempt to appoint former policy aide and longtime political figure uh, D.J. Betancourt to be the next insurance commissioner. Betancourt's had an interesting trajectory through New Hampshire politics, starting as a very young man as a state rep, rising to majority leader, having to resign after falsifying uh, academic records at UNH School of Law. Um, coming back as a policy aide for for Governor Sununu, uh, facing domestic violence charges that were then dropped. Uh, so it'll it'll be interesting to see uh, whether he gets through the the council. That there's going to be a public hearing on Wednesday. Okay. And how about you, Stephen? What are you working on? Well, my editor will scold me if I say too much, so I will be very <laughs> very careful right. here. But just uh, share that I have a couple of enterprise stories that I've been working on for for quite some time that I expect to come across the finish line next week. So globe.com/nh is where to find those. Sign up for the newsletter, and we'll send you a link when they are live. That sounds good. Thank you. Good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, it's, so it's always <laughs> good to get to the finish line of a long long reporting project like that. NHPR is Josh Rogers and the Boston Globe's Stephen Porter. Thank you both. Thank you. And enjoy the holiday weekend. Thank you for sharing your reporting with us. You can find more of their work, by the way, and all the stories that we talked about this morning at nhpr.org and at bostonglobe.com. I'm Rick Ganley. This is NHPR.